Welcome. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for the July 6th, Thursday, reading of the Pikes Peak Courier. My name is Sophia. Today, we will be reading the following main articles. A Walk Through Green Mountain Falls Connects Art with Nature, written by Pat Hill. Wildflower Super Blooms Poised for Colorado, written by Seth Boster. The Yum Factor Guides the 4-H Cooking Decorating Contest, written by Pat Hill. 4-H Hosts Open House for Public Saturday, written by Pat Hill, and following up with miscellaneous articles. Our first article is entitled, A Walk Through Green Mountain Falls Connects Art with Nature, written by Pat Hill. A walk in Green Mountain Falls on opening day of the Green Box Arts Festival, June 30, showcased the work of five artists. Scott R.C. Levy, executive director of Greenbox, a nonprofit organization, began the walk at the Lake Street Display. The work titled Open Skies is a large installation by the photographer Brenda Biondo. Inspired by the James Turrell Sky Space in the Red Butte Recreation Area, Biondo created a frame of photos taken through apertures from her home in Manitou Springs. Turrell Sky Space, an observatory built into the mountain above Green Mountain Falls, offers sky views through window-like openings of various sizes. Looking through the aperture to see the sky represents how we perceive colors in different contexts and colors, Biondo said and we can appreciate and see them in new ways. For her artistry, Biondo received a Certificate of Appreciation from Christian Kesey, who, with Larry Kegwin, founded the festival in 2009. Biondo is currently working on a photography piece that incorporates tumbleweeds that blow into Marfa, Texas, where she lives part-time. The walk continued through a, long, through a trail along the creek to Earth Speaks, a work by Brooke Smiley, who uses lowercase letters in her name, a member of the Osage tribe. Five benches on either side of the creek reflect Smiley's connection to nature, the theme of the installations. These five benches were made of dirt from the land you are standing on now, Levy said, placed along the creek with lush trees on either side. The spot is intended to be a place of meditation, he added. Smiley conceived the sculpture in collaboration with members of the Southern Ute tribe, whose ancestors were the first inhabitants of the land. 
These five benches were made to resemble the five fingers of a bear's paw, Levy said, creating life-giving energy with the water running through here. Proceeding on to Lakeview Terrace, where Sky, a sculpture of stainless steel, shines in the sunlight above the amphitheater. The work, by Brian Wall, uses pieces of curvilinear steel to form a circle and a 360-degree view. The individual pieces of steel change color with the light, Levy said. Wall spoke of his work and talked the next day as part of Greenbox Arts Conversations. At age 92, Wall delighted the audience by sharing his experiences and speaking of the importance of being in the moment, of concentrating on the now. The Lakeview Terrace provides the framework for Molly Rideout's essay piece, The Managers, with her writings posted inside the windows. Rideout's work brings to light the role of women in the 20th century who managed the Lakeview, which was built in 1890 as a boarding house. The building remains empty, but has been spruced up by Greenbox as a showcase for the historical record discovered by Rideout during her research. The walk concluded at Mountain Corner Park and a short hike up the trail in the H.B. Wallace Preserve, where Nikki's Pike Ovum rests amid the lush trees. As a green box artist in residence, Pike constructed a natural structure of tree bark. This is another example of making art to connect with nature, Levy said. The art installations are five of 13 located at various sites around Green Mountain Falls. The next article is entitled Wildflower Superblooms Poised for Colorado, written by Seth Boster. Maggie Gaddis has been roaming her usual parks and open spaces around Colorado Springs and delighting in unusual sights. I've seen a lot of species that we haven't seen in a couple of years, said a wildflower enthusiast and scientist. The executive director of the Colorado Native Plant Society has seen scarlet globe mallows popping, Indian paintbrush are dancing, penstemon are bursting. I don't really see a lot of lupin around here, but I've been seeing a bit more with all the moisture, Gaddis said. In the wake of an exceptionally snowy winter and wet spring across the mountains and plains, the season of color is only just beginning. Early signs are it's going to be one of the best wildflower seasons in a long time, said Ian Billick, executive director of the Rocky Mountain Biological Laboratory outside Crested Butte. Crested Butte is Colorado's heralded wildflower capital, a reputation credited to sloping aspects and geology that bless a colorful array across meadows and mountain sides. The annual wildflower festival is set for July 6th 
through, I'm sorry, July 7 through 16, the typical time frame for vibrant blooms along the state's elevations. Lingering snowpack is poised to stall displays in the high country, said Tom Zainer, a longtime volunteer and educator with the festival. Nonetheless, hikes, seminars, and other events were about sold out heading into July. It's our best year so far for early sales, Zainer said. Perhaps hype has followed the headlines and photos of superblooms out of Southern California and Arizona in the spring. If you're expecting the same show in Colorado, it might be good to temper expectations, said Jen Basilat, an assistant professor of horticulture at Colorado State University. We're so much farther north than those locations, and we don't have the same diversity and abundance of species, so it's never going to look like that, she said. But for Colorado, I think we're going to have a higher bloom than normal. That's judging from one of the research green roofs she oversees in Fort Collins. Yellow daisies, blue flax, pink and orange blanket flowers, and white primrose have been among the palette. We have a super bloom on that green roof right now, Basilat said. That can be fleeting, she knows. It's a word of caution, any expert will tell you, when it comes to forecasting wildflowers. Things can change quickly, said Nicola Ripley, executive director of the Betty Ford Alpine Gardens in Vail. Things can change if rains stop and temperatures rise. Sunny days and cool nights add to the recipe of growth. Wind and frost are threats to that growth. It's like every year we have the hope, and only about every 7 to 15 years do we actually get to see super blooms because all the factors don't necessarily align, Bosalat said. She's hopeful as ever, as is Billick, who points to lingering snowpack above treeline as a good thing, even if it means sightseers have to be patient for weeks in July. That late snowpack just helps wildflowers not start growing too early, so you don't get the early summer frost events that kill the buds, Billick said. In the meantime, there will be plenty to admire below, he said. He was imagining sunflower-spotted meadows, where some years you don't see flowers, and other years there's nothing but yellow, he said. I suspect it's going to be one of those years where it's nothing but yellow. But vegetation can be something of a double-edged sword, Gaddis said. Whenever this happens, we need it to be followed by a strong monsoon, sorry, monsoon season, she said. Otherwise, we have a lot of tall grasses and our fire danger increases. While there's celebration for the prospects of blooms, there's continued worry of long-term drought and this era of bigger, more destructive wildfires. Climate change continues to wreak havoc on pollinator populations and cast a shadow over their future relationship with flowers. The Rocky Mountain Biological Laboratory continues to research how warming influences 
bloomed places and times, and how feeders and seed spreaders are adapting or not. Read a recent National Geographic headline based on that research. Nature is out of sync, and that's reshaping everything everywhere. A season of superblooms is as good a time as any to reflect on those changes, Ripley said. Betty Ford, Alpine Gardens, has rolled out a new and improved and free app called Alpine Wildflower Finder for identifying species in the wild. It's a tool in honor of a, quote, the Education Center often relays from conservationist Baba Diom. In the end, we will conserve only what we love. We will love only what we understand. And we will understand only what we've been taught. With Superblooms, Gaddis said, we might better understand the native land before human disturbance to appreciate the aesthetic of what should be here with us, she said. It might be an increasingly rare sight, Boussalat said, but it helps us fall in love with our state all over again, she said. The next article is entitled, The Yum Factor Guides the 4-H Cooking Decorating Contest, written by Pat Hill. Designing a cake is not for the fearful, the anxious artist, the bashful baker. Rather, the cake decorating contest is for 4-H members who are innovative and skilled with ingredients. It's a go-for-it event, July 15, when 4-H creative cooks can outfrost their peers and win a prize. Whoever wins can go on to the state level, said Melissa Orm, who leads the 4-H creative cooks group in Teller County. With 11 levels of cake decorating, the contest tests the innovative part of the brain. In the first level, Unit 1, you can only decorate with edibles, said Orm. You can do candy and cookies, but don't think about the taste. We're talking strictly beauty. For the second level, the 4-H'ers can do piping, that is, applying frosting through a tube, and the levels just go on and on, she said. For those not in the groove, there are fads in cake decorating. All the rage today is fondant, Orm said. Cooking contest. If a cake decorating is all about artistry, the cooking contest is more about planning ahead, nutritionally and strategically. Contestants work from a small table, choosing a theme for a meal, perhaps a picnic, birthday, or holiday, for instance. The sky's the limit, Orm said. Participants plan a full meal, but only make one item to present the, to the judges. It's good experience, planning a menu and thinking through everything, Orm said. They think about food safety and wear gloves because they are serving the menu item to the judge. For added interest, the, con the contest includes a specialty division. This year's is apples. If they have apples in the recipe they are making for the menu, 
That would be a separate category, she said. There are tasting opportunities for the community after the judging. On contest day, cooks should be prepared and ready to go. Some will use crock pots to maintain the temperature of the menu item, she said. The next article is entitled 4-H Hosts Open House for the Public Saturday, written by Pat Hill. Some aspects of 4-H clubs in Teller County stay the same. The agriculture, the animals, the baking, cooking, and sewing. But as 4-H moves into the 21st century, Teller County students are following educational trends with classes such as robotics, filmmaking, leather craft, and shooting sports, entomology, and horticulture, projects focused on science, technology, mathematics, and art. Today's 4-H indoor projects, more than 100, have updated sewing skills to include creative clothing design and artistry. To highlight the programs of technology HIP 4-H, the Colorado State University Extension Office hosts an open house this Saturday. The open house is to get the community out there to see what our kids are up to, said Mark Platten, CSU's Teller County Extension Director. The open house is a lead-in to the Teller County Fair that begins July 31, when eight judges will view the projects and award ribbons for the best. We're going to have kids from across the community talking about their projects, Platten said. Public speaking is a powerful skill to have. The public is invited to the 4-H open house from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. July 8 at the Florissant Grange. Lunch is provided by donation. The next article is entitled, CPW Seeks Help Solving Elk Poaching Case West of Terriol Reservoir, written by the Courier Staff. Colorado Parks and Wildlife is asking the public for help identifying the person or persons who killed a bull elk between June 24 and the morning of June 26 between the towns of Como and Hartzell. Wildlife officers were alerted to a bull elk carcass, which had been dumped alongside Pike National Forest Road 146, just east of the Buffalo subdivision. Only a single backstrap had been removed from the elk. One of the antlers had been cut in half, but the piece was left on the ground beside the carcass. The elk was shot twice with a high-power rifle. Wildlife officers are hoping that someone camping in the Terriol area or a resident of either Indian Mountain or the Buffalo subdivisions saw or heard something that may help solve the case. A $1,000 reward is being offered in this case. Information can be provided anonymously through Operation Game Theft by phone at 877-265-6648 that's 877-265-6648, or by email at gametheft at statecous. That's G-A-M-E dot T-H-I-E-F at 
S-T-A-T-E dot C-O dot U-S. A person who is willing to testify about the information they provided, which led to the following, sorry, filing of charges will be eligible for a preference point or a hunting license in this case. This was a senseless and disgraceful act that demonstrates a complete disregard for our state's wildlife and the parties responsible need to be held accountable, said District Wildlife Manager Ian Petkish. Poaching is a serious and costly crime. It robs legitimate sports people of game and fish, businesses and taxpayers of revenue generated by hunting and fishing, and robs all of us of a valuable natural resource that makes Colorado so special, our wildlife. The next article is entitled Swiss Chalet Closes, Italian Restaurant Changes Hands, written by Teresa Farney. The iconic Swiss Chalet restaurant in Woodland Park has closed. An attempt to contact the restaurant by phone was unsuccessful as the phone had been disconnected. All the Swiss Chalet social media connections have also been taken down. All I can say is that an employee of the Swiss Chalet texted me on the morning of the June 5th, letting me know that they, the employees, had received news last night from Roberto that he is closing the chalet effective immediately, Kirsten Bieber said in an email. Bieber is the new owner of Mountainera Cucina Italiana, which she acquired from Roberto Calcagno. Calcagno also owns the Swiss Chalet. She reopened the Mountainera on May 30. I promise not to change much, she said in a Facebook post. The charm of the restaurant is why I love it. Roberto's amazing recipes are all staying. The staff is all staying. We just want to continue to show up for this community, and I want to ensure the longevity of this Woodland Park treasure that we all love. However, things started getting complicated for Bieber when customers started showing up with gift cards to redeem. I'd like to provide additional explanation on the gift cards, as I have now been on the receiving end of harassment, she said in a June 1 social media post. The amount of money on the unredeemed gift cards was not disclosed to me by previous ownership. I was not compensated for those gift cards. With the change of ownership came a change in processing systems, and Bieber didn't have a way to verify gift card balances. Last August, Calcagno opened Mountanera Cucina Italiana Restaurant at 727 Gold Hill Place South, Woodland Park, to rave reviews. Then, in January, he jumped at the opportunity to purchase the Swiss Chalet Restaurant at 19263 East US 24 in Woodland Park. He freshened up the interior of the eatery and expanded the menu to include dishes from other European cuisines. In May, he announced on Facebook he was putting both restaurants up for sale and moving his family back to Italy. 
We are selling the restaurants because my mother is struggling significantly with ongoing health issues associated with the climate and elevation here. And as a family, we find they need to return to Italy at sea level, where she can have more time with us and her grandchildren, he said in a post. This is a very hard decision for us, and compassion would be helpful. The next article is entitled, Helicopter Crew Rescues Couple and Dog from Floodwaters in Colorado, written by Tamara Twitty. A couple and their dog were rescued by helicopter last week after being stranded by flooding on their property. An emergency helicopter from Douglas County was contracted to help assess flood damage in Elbert County last week. While flying over the area, the helicopter crew was made aware that a couple and their dog were stranded nearby. They sprung into action and were able to safely rescue the family. Thank you for joining us for the Pikes Peak Courier. My name is Sophia. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303 786 7777.